Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. Oh my god, it's my boss. He saw me slip out early, he's come here to fire me. You got here the same time you always do. I know, I always leave early. <laughs> I refuse to be one of those little cowardly clock watchers, Diane. As soon as my supervisor turns his head, I always slip out the heating duct. <laughs> How would he know you're here? The company's full of spies. Really? Yeah, they know everything about you. They even keep track of your sex habits. Thank God I don't have any. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and joining me for the first time is friend of the Fire and Water <laughs> Network, David Ace Gutierrez. What's up, David? Hey, Ryan. It's good to be here. This is my, I think I got, like, if I had a punch card of Fire and Water Network shows, I think I am almost got all all the hosts. Nice. And their shows, yeah. Just waiting on Max and I don't think it'll ever happen, but that because of the nature of the show, Nathaniel's show. Yeah. But that, I, think, I, think, I think that's it. Well, what about uh, Supermates? Have, we gotten, have you gotten on Supermates? Oh, well, a lot has to happen between Chris and Cindy, right? For somebody <laughs> else to <laughs> – something major has to happen to appear on that show. Maybe I can appear as like a guy in, in, their, um, in their toy cabinet or something. <laughs> <There you laughs> yeah, go. that's that's probably it. You're right. I, I completely forgot about Supermates. You'll do some voice for uh, you can you know you can come back. Oh, and I can do a voice, or you you can play a psychiatrist on the next House of Frankenstein. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Um, how and when did you discover Cheers? I was thinking about this. Cheers was kind of omnipresent through my life, right? And I I don't think I ever actually watched it on a Thursday night. Maybe more than once or twice. It tended to be something that I, if I saw it, it was on syndication. Because it ran for what ten years, and I think 11, it was syndicated yeah. by like its fourth year or something. So it was it's kind of running along itself, mm-hmm. right? So there was like a it's afternoon school show from my dad. He'd have it on, and I and I'd catch glimpses here or there. But I was never unlike a lot of your you know previous guests, probably the guests after me. I was never like a fan of Cheers. Uh, my my tastes tend to run a little more like I was more I was a bigger fan of something like Taxi or mm-hmm. or a Night Court or Barney Miller like the more kind of blue collar working situation show. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I probably like for, I know I was this on like after the Cosby Show or Family Ties or something. Yep, yep that I, I, was, yeah, yeah they, it, those four ran together for for a couple of years. It was uh, it was a, a Cosby Court, Show, right? Family Ties, Cheers, and Night Court. Those four back to back. Yeah, so this was the opening for Night Court. So that yep. that's probably how I discovered it because I'm, I'm I love Night Night Court is probably my last great favorite um, sitcom. All right, well then uh, we'll we'll discuss why you picked this episode in a little bit, <laughs> uh, folks. We are here for season three, episode twenty one, the Executive's Executioner. The episode is written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, March 7th, 1985. 
When Norm's boss comes to Cheers looking for him, Norm is sure that he's about to be fired for leaving work early, which he does every day. Instead, Norm is promoted to the role of corporate killer, responsible for firing people as the company downsizes. The thinking behind this is Norm is such an abjectly pathetic person that no former (laughs) employee would harbor any bitterness or resentment towards him. Norm's first assignment is to fire a young man named Billy who loves everything about his job, has a pregnant wife, and just put down a down payment on a new house. Norm has such a hard time firing the man that he procrastinates by taking him out to the movies and a baseball game before finally coming back to Cheers, where Norm breaks down sobbing as he informs Billy that he's history. The man feels so bad for Norm that the hurt of being fired barely phases him. A spy from the company who witnesses Norm in action is so moved by this tactic that he recommends Norm for yet another promotion. Days pass with Norm firing more people from his company. Each time he reduces himself to a blubbering mess, demonstrating genuine remorse on behalf of the company. When the emotional strain on Norm turns into homicidal nightmares, Diane warns him that he can't continue playing executioner without losing his humanity. It doesn't take long for her theory to be tested. When another employee meets Norm at Cheers, knowing full well that he is about to be fired, Norm is too spent to offer genuine sympathy or tears. Once it's obvious that Norm can't even fake remorse, he calls his boss to quit. Only his boss is too scared to take Norm's call, fearing that it means he is fired too. Alright, that was the executive's executioner. David, aside from your reputation for being the murderer of fun on the network... (laughs) Is that really, is that true? Oh, that's what we talk about, yeah, behind your back, yeah. That's awful. I love fun. Not the band, when they're that clear. (laughs) Why did you call, because you called this episode, like, Two years ago when I first started. Why did you want to talk right. about this one? Two reasons. This is the only episode I remember in its entirety. Mm-hmm. I remember bits from other episodes. Like uh, one of my favorite all-time gags is actually from Cheers. Where uh, Sam, I think it was Sam, pulls out this giant like tome, slams it on the on the bar and says, uh, and Norm says, what's that, Sammy? And and, and Sam says, oh, it's it's Norm's beer tab. It's, look, here it says it's when we knew you as skinny guy at the end of the bar. <laughs> And then there was a uh, one where uh, I think they're making a video. Woody's making a video, or the the gang is making a video uh, to sway Woody's parents not to force yep. him to move back Cheers home. Movie. Yep, yep. Cliff, it, it's it's a it's footage of Cliff delivering mail, and as soon as he walks out of frame, everybody in this building <laughs> steps outside and exchanges mail with each other because Cliff misdelivers it to everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are like my oh, and, and the Jeopardy episode where I just remember bits and pieces. Oh, yeah. But this is the, I don't know why this episode has stuck with me, but it has. Well, actually, I do know why because it, I love the ending of it so much that Norm's <laughs> reputation has made him completely um, unbeatable <laughs> in, in a weird in a weird circumstance because to know him is is to lose your job essentially, <laughs> and then yeah, just and uh, George Went is such a. Um, He's such an amazing actor. I I um I don't know why things never really progressed beyond norm for him. I know he had a show for a while, the George Wentz show that didn't go anywhere. And outside of that, it's just um it boggles the mind that he never really did much more. Or maybe Norm is all he's capable of doing. I don't know. But um the comedic timing that Norm had and I, I never 
Norm, I'm sorry, went had. And never, not for a moment, did I believe that his character wasn't feeling awful. And then later just sort of dead to it all. Mm-hmm. And then um, when he has his nightmare, which I mis- misremembered. I see when I was a kid, I remembered him just saying, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. But in different ways. Mm-hmm. And then just that it was more of a casual thing until he meets himself and starts screaming. But um, yeah, I, I, I love this. I just love the kind of the, the logic this episode had. And I think especially as a kid, what I appreciated was it wasn't a love story focused episode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really barely any mention of, there's really ba- barely any use of Sam and Diane. Yes. Really. They just kind of set things up. And is the coach character is, is missing, but the actor is dead by this point, right? Cause there was no. Yeah. Yes. At this point. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Nikki Calasanto who'd been playing coach had been, uh, has died at this point. Um, okay. And, and, that's and so there were there was a brief period where he basically couldn't go into work because of his health condition but before right. he had actually passed away so i'm not sure when the filming of this took place um it is notable that i think this is the first episode where they don't even reference him because the okay. other previous episodes from the season where he has been absent, they've kind of made up these kind of elaborate excuses for where he is, why he's out of town or something like that. And they've all been kind of like funny jokes. I think this is the first time where he, they don't even mention him. Okay. Um, and yeah, say, and this is like two episodes in a row where Sam and Diane are, are hardly to be found at all. They, they were also minimizing Diane's role in this part of the season because Shelley Long was pregnant and they were trying to conceal it because oh. they didn't want the character to be pregnant. So they really kind of pushed her to the background as much as they could. Um, okay. So yeah, they, they're, they're really... She, she's hardly doing anything in this one. The only real subplot, which I didn't mention in the book, is this whole thing with Cliff. Oh, and the, and his Cliff comes in hot <laughs> in the beginning because he, they, he and Ma have these new next door neighbors, and he's just like they're not our type of people. Which, you know, you they can play kind of bebop. Feel, yeah, playing their bebop music at all hours. But he's also like he's like leaving leaving used auto or he's like leaving auto parts strewn all over their front lawn and nothing I can use. And, it's like, <laughs> um, and then he comes back later when he, he's even more mad, and, and Carla basically encourages him to write a letter. But, of course, Carla ghostwrites it for him, being as harsh and acidic and volcanic as Carla can be, and then gets him to sign it. And, naturally, Cliff does not want to really be in a confrontation with this person, because his neighbor, because he's a coward. Um, so when he finds out that, you know, the guy is apologetic, Cliff has to steal his, his letter back from a guest mailman. And this one I love because the, the mail- I love yeah, that guy. Yeah, the mailman named Walt Twitchell. This is his first <laughs> of three appearances on Cheers. Uh, he comes back and he's played by Ray Burke, who is just one of those guys you've. He he's in everything. He's got hundreds of of credits on IMDb. Um, he was in like he was in Throw Mama from the Train, one of my favorite movies. He was in the Naked Gun movies, uh, the show Silk Stockings. He was he was in, oh, in Night Court right? several times. He played several characters on Night Court. They call him Twitch. Twitch, because yeah. <laughs> he's he's Walt Twitchell, and he's yeah he he shows up on on Cheers three times and actually plays the same character in Frasier. I don't remember what episode that is or what the context is, but he comes back in Frasier. Yeah, I, I've never seen more than like maybe an, ep- an episode or two of Frasier either. So I don't... The Cheers verse is very small for me. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I that actor was just 
wonderful. And his the way his inflections was was equally as ridiculous as Cliff's are, but in a completely in more of an like an actor trying to play Hercules kind of a way. <laughs> yeah. And but just the fact that the the mail carriers just take their job to such a serious degree. Yeah. Like and, they, like and, and they so call sacrosanctors. Yeah, they they call it on it because you you know there's like how's it going? He's like, well, it hasn't been easy, but any day I get to carry the U.S. mail, I count myself lucky. And Carla's just watching him like, are all of you people like this? <laughs> she says that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, there's just something about it, like <laughs> whether whether the U.S. post office turns people that way or if it just attracts a certain kind of person. Yeah. Like, I did mean to look up if it's illegal to take a letter back <laughs> once it's been um, handed to somebody. At the Postal Service, even if it is your letter. Which, by the way, did you see the writing on the on the envelope? No. It is just scribbles. Well, no. One thing I love to look at is just, you know, if it's going to any town USA or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Or if it's a fake address. No, it was just like your son trying to mimic writing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, of course, because once Cliff wants the mail back, Twitchell refuses on the grounds that, you know, it's official mail now and it has to be protected and guarded so they end up getting a fight where Cliff like, tries to steal it from his bag and they're dropping it and like, it's just, no, it, it was more stomping than yeah it was, it was as pathetic as it could possibly be like not even a dance like a, slap, a slapping fight or whatever it would be would be a credit <laughs> to this thing but Clavin's um, name was taken down yes yeah. Clavin with a C <laughs> and Cliff storms off back to the bar and he's like put a uniform on some guys and it turns them right into a fascist <laughs> Cliff's use of a payphone. Yeah, there were little, little. I have to say, this is what I've heard on a few of the shows. But I, I, you guys really never talk about like the direction of the show. I've noticed the, and I don't mean the of the story or anything, but just kind of the staging of it. And I was really impressed by all the work Burroughs did with all the background characters. There are a lot of shots that that inv- that really make you feel like you're there. Just sort of the business that's happening outside of the. Well, I'm, I, I'm sorry, within the frame, but outside of the narrative or with the central characters. When um, at the beginning of the, the opening gag with um, Carla and the tip, there are two people that um, that are just to the um, upper right corner of the screen and they're just carrying on a fake conversation and their timing and everything went. They know exactly when to look at Carla and when to react, laughing at her taking the 10 bucks as change for the quarter mm-hmm. and then um just the use of all the even the main characters in the background i was really transfixed by how diane reads a book mm-hmm. she runs did you see that she kind of runs her finger over yeah. over like she's done in like a, a page in like two seconds and it looked like she was actually reading from right to left <laughs> or turning the pages from right to left i don't know if she was paying attention to the business but um i've i don't know why i didn't watch this show more because I love it when people are working as they're doing things. Like Sam's always operating like a like a beer tap or, or yep. cleaning. Yeah. Um, they're they're making a great use of the space. Mm-hmm. It, it really feels like a well constructed play. Ted Danson, um, I, I noticed him, and maybe it's just because he's the lead, and you're kind of you're drawn to him. I noticed him more than the others. Just really is always 
doing something. He's keeping himself busy. And it, you're right. It definitely gives it the feeling, uh, the verminous, ah, can't even say the word right. The verminous that, that, you know, it, it feels like it's, it's, it's a functioning operating thing. It's a real space that he, he right. occupies. And he's got a point in this one. It's towards the end when Diane is trying to talk to, to Norman, basically get him to quit this job because it's destroying him. And, and she has this thing where she's like, Norman, you know, nobody is more sensitive than I. And Sam is like <laughs> right behind her shoulders and he's like about to take a drink of like water or something. And he just kind of like stops himself and like thinks about what she just said and rolls his eyes and like shakes his head just like, oh my right. God, this woman. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, like you know, like, like he's way. barely like he's barely there or whatever. Like this is the, sh- the it's not about him. They don't linger on that moment. But you just if you watch right. him in the background, he's really listening to her and like, what the hell, Diane? I mean, this is why they bring in Burroughs to fix things all the time, you know? Or <laughs> like he directed the Friends pilot. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if anyone's listening who want who direct a pilot and you get residuals for the rest of the run of that series, yep. David Nutter got got gobs of money for mm-hmm. Smallville. You know, I don't know how many episodes he actually did outside of the pilot, but I think ran ten years. Yeah, you know? yeah. What you got to do, Ryan, direct a pilot. I should, yeah. Burroughs did a lot of those. Yeah, he definitely set himself up to this, basically like you know setting setting whatever the the tone for the rest of the show. But. And the, one of the other reasons I loved this episode in particular was when I saw it, I was a kid, and my parents are teachers, so the concept of going to work was just like a guy with a suitcase or a woman with a suitcase or something, not suitcase, a briefcase walking into a building. And then I didn't know what happened. You know what I mean? So so, um, having the character of Norm play like a hatchet man gave a real dimension to what people did for a living to me (laughs) or what could happen. Like, uh, um, there, there was no teacher's union in Texas. As far as I know, there, there still isn't, at least maybe there wasn't at the time. So to fire someone, no, maybe there is a, anyway, to fire someone in academics in academia is very different than firing someone in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, normal workplace, I should say. So the fact that there was like a hatchet man was just so intriguing to me. And uh, I didn't know how people were let go except somebody like like a, like a lieutenant yelling at somebody, "You're off the force," you know what right. I mean? <laughs> so it was just this this milk toast guy, Norm, who even just through limited exposure to him, you knew just like gets by by getting by. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> He's just—he's making money to pay it off his beer tab, essentially, is what I was gathered. And and even the fact that what I loved is there were these corporate spies that didn't spy on other corporations, but spied on on their own employees. And they find him to be just so bland, like no sex life, no yeah. anything. So he's the perfect. For some reason, the lack of any incentive made him the perfect guy to do this. Um, I don't really know how much norm. Um, there is like how much you learn about him over the what was it like seven or eight seasons of the show or is it 10 however long it ran it's 11 seasons yep oh my god um how much you know about him all i know is like you never saw vera right you never met his wife and he loves vera but he pretends not to kind of sometimes and uh yeah and and he kind of hates his job but outside of that i don't know what what the what made norm tick but I felt like this was a nice, really solid glimpse into kind of his life without really ever showing anything. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of explained, like where, like he mentions, like, like, like from the from the beginning, like when his boss, Mister Hecht, or Hecht, sorry, Mister Hecht, comes in, played by Richard Rote, who also is just one of those guys who has 
130 credits on IMDb. Yeah. It's just been tons of stuff. Um, but when he comes in and normally quickly ducks behind the bar and tells them, this is boss, he must have seen me sneak out of there early. And Diane's like, you came in, you got here the same time you always get here. He's like, I always sneak out early. Um, right. and then he, he's got yeah. evidence, trace evidence on him from an air duct. Yeah, yeah, the foam insulation from the air duct is funny. Um, but he's like, yeah, the company's. Full, he tells him the company's full of spies. They like know everything about you, from like your your work habits to your sex habits. He's like, fortunately, I don't have any of those. So, uh, yeah, it is. It's just the fact that I mean, the reason why Norm is always at the bar and why I only make a joke about like he's just like he's like a physical presence there is because he has nothing in his, else in his life. You know, of note, you know, he's he goes from various jobs throughout the course of the series. You know, he always okay. has Vera, who he is quick to make fun of. And from what it sounds like, she's fine with him being out. Like she she rarely misses him except when she needs something. So there's like nothing else going on there. And then when he hides in the bathroom and Mr. Hick like confronts him there, you know, he, he yeah, very intrusive, by the way. To, oh, I know. And it, it leads, my stall. Yeah, it leads, it leads to my favorite part of the episode. So I'll, I'll come back to that. But yeah, when he's having this whole thing, it's like it basically just describes how horribly pathetic this guy <laughs> he is. And it's like, um, He's like, we checked your home life. You have absolutely nothing that anyone could resent. Like, you know, Norm's like, I, this job still sounds kind of terrible. And he's like, well, it's a 300% raise, and if you don't take it, you're oh, fired. Right. And <laughs> Norm's, Norm's <laughs> response is, I'll have you know that I cannot be bought and I cannot be threatened. But you put the two together, and I'm your man. No, that was great. That was great. I And I know one of your favorite um, situations is you like the monkey paw situation, right, Brian? And this was, I know this isn't that. So did you like the fact that he was coerced into something that really benefited him in the long run, but it wasn't anything he wished for? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it's definitely it's something that challenges the character. It does take him out of his comfort zone. I mean, they, they even put it out there. Like, like when he kind of like mentions to Diane, he's like, I finally found something that I'm good at. Pity. <laughs> and he's like, right. and, and she's but like, even no, then, yeah. She's like this, this terrible, numb. this terrible thing. He's like, yeah, but he's like, I, he's like, I hate this, I hate this job, I hate doing this, but I'm good at it. And then, like for for all of it, for all it was for you know however many days or weeks that he was actually doing this job, the people that he had to let go that he says, I mean, he's like these people would have been fired anyway. It's like that, like the company, you know, Mister Heck puts it out there. The company's going through like some. They're changing whatever they're re- restructuring or something. So all these people were going to be out of a job and. In as in as sad and pathetic a way as possible, Norm gave them some kind of comfort and made them feel better about their situation, even if it was just right. by comparing their own misery to his. So, right, so. he made it about himself until the final guy that he couldn't even muster like fate tears. Right, and when he when he tries, it just creates that does create the more <laughs> resentment from the guy. And, as a guy who's been laid off numerous times and maybe fired, I'm not sure. Sometimes, um. I wish I had a norm to cushion it. <laughs> yeah, it would, it, it'd be nice not to have the, well, here's your HR rep and here's somebody else to make sure you don't say or do anything that endangers the HR rep's life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was laid off from Disney once and uh, they had an HR rep in there. And when she told me that I was losing my job, I guess something in my face, she says, are you OK? But like in a frightened way kind of a thing. And I said, well, my wife's five months pregnant and um that's our health care. But yeah, I'm all right. And then, she, and then she says, okay. And then I said, listen, 
you said much, something about there might be other openings here. Who lets go of HR people? And she says, well, it's other HR people. And then I remember saying, I want that job. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And then I just walked out. You never got a call back for that one, huh? No, I didn't. No. No. All right. <laughs> um... Getting back, there's the, the, the one brief little thing we get of uh, of Sam and Diane being themselves when Sam is talking about, you know, anytime he has to leave, a, let it go, uh, let a waitress go, he gives them a farewell boink. <laughs> I love course. that gag! <laughs> of course. And then, like, Diane, you know, throws it back. She's like, the cash equivalent is a dollar fourteen, And he's like, you know, and, and they, oh, they keep coming back over each other at this moment. He's like, as I remember, you were always up for an advance. And she says something to the effect where she's like, I, you know, you're just sad because I was the only one of your ex-girlfriends who could spell your name correctly. <laughs> and how does he throw it back? He's like, as I remember, you used to spell it E-X-T-A-S-Y. <laughs> Completely misspelling ecstasy. And she's just like smiling like knowingly on her face. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their best parts are the subtle things. I, I don't think I ever really liked seeing them as a them, to be honest. Um it was an, there was always an awkward tension when they were them. Like it was just like it felt like a time bomb. <laughs> it was just yeah. You know, I was reading. I listen. Do you ever listen to um, Ken Levine? Is that his name? Oh uh, yeah. Ken, I, I I haven't because I haven't wanted it to inform too much of what I'm doing here. But yeah, many right. people have recommended his his okay. blog and then his podcast. Yeah, because he he's talked about how. It went from workplace to them, as them as the focal point. Mm-hmm. And that sort of endangered the show. I think maybe what I appreciated most about this is this this made it about the bar. Yeah. This made it about Norm and, and Cliff to some extent. Right. Um, and I was never really a big fan of the will they, won't they, or when they're together bits. Even with um, later with, with Rebecca. Right. Um, it was more when she was interested in like a... What's the guy's name? Robin Colcourt. Robin Colcourt, right? yeah. Yeah. Those, I, I found those far more interesting uh, Sam bits than when he's, I guess, happy <laughs> or, mm. or when, when, they, when, when things were clicking for them. Right, right. Do you, do you prefer like the bar episodes, I guess, or the ones that focus not on, not on Ted Danson's character? Yeah, no, I mean, I, no, I, I, I love, I love an episode that's, that's Sam centric, and I definitely think that there's a reason why he was the lead. I do, I mean, kind of, kind of in a, if you're gonna take like the micro level, the, the Diane years, the first five seasons, it is a couple show that is set in this bar, and you, you know, you take them out of it from time to time. It is a, it is about the workplace, but, I mean, at the end of the day, even the first season before they hooked up, the the last scene, whatever was going on, it was always between Sam and Diane, and there was the build up to that romance. And then the second season, they are together, and it's like, can they stay together? How? What are they fighting about this episode? What's going to tear them apart? The threat and the. And then this season, now it's like, okay, she's got a new boyfriend. They had this horrible breakup, but is there still some lingering affection between them? We'll find out. And then the next couple seasons. There's it's it's a little bit kind of nebulous, but for the most part, I mean, the, the this this whole era with Diane was Sam and Diane, and their on again, off right. again romance. Once she left in the last six seasons with Rebecca, even last though six. yeah, even <laughs> though the first half of that was dominated by Sam trying to get Rebecca into bed, 
it i mean and she and she was the lead for most of it the the second see the second half of the series definitely did feel more of that yeah. it is the workplace comedy it's not just the romance it's not just the will they won't they i also think part of that is just because of other cast changes by that point fraser has established himself as a regular part by that point woody has come on and replaced coach right um and, and I'll, I'll talk about this in, in later episodes once we bid a final farewell to Coach and once we bring in Woody. But Woody is has a as a rejuvenating presence in the show when he comes aboard because unlike Coach, who was a fully formed character, Woody has the, potas- the potential for growth. And we we follow him. He has more of an arc and he has more to do in his in the show. So I just think because the ensemble just gets a little bit stronger and a little bit deeper that let the the writers play more to the group and not just the two male and female leads. Okay. All right. The last thing, just before, I just want to mention one of the other uh, guest stars because it's another familiar face. Um, the the spy who was watching Norm uh, on his first oh, assignment. Uh, his name is <laughs> the character. Yeah, the character's Phil Wagner. He's played by yeah. David Wall, who's another one of those guys that's just in everything. Always plays a sweaty bald guy. Um, he, and he actually he was in Troop Beverly Hills with Shelley Long. Um, right. But, yeah, um, but but he, I just I think it was funny just because when he identifies himself, he's like, yeah, he's like the company sent me to check on how you're doing. He's like, I've been following you around all day, and Norm's like, all day. He's like, yep. How, well, by the way, what did you think of Rice's catch in the third inning? Like, he actually went to the ball game and had a good time. He followed him. Yeah, I, I didn't notice this until maybe it was an HD thing, but everyone is very sweaty. Is that a like Norm was sweating like crazy, and then there's a lot of uh, Ted dance and sweat. Is that a typical thing? I it's not something I notice unless the it's, the episode really calls for it. So I'm not sure what it is. Oh, hot lights could be. I don't know. When does when does Captain Janeway come on? She is in the very end of season four. Okay. okay. I see. I do remember things. All right. Yeah, that's a that's the season finale. It's like a three part season finale of season four. Okay. Uh, she's a. Is she is she the mayoral candidate or? Yes, I think seem to think so. Yeah, she's re, yeah she's running for office. Yeah. So Janeway preceded Savick on this show. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. But the rebel commander was there the whole time. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts before we get to the superlative categories? Uh, I just I thank you for. Um, asking me to revisit this um i just uh i i, I want to see more <laughs> <laughs> well good you should follow along with the podcast it's fun I, my son i i started to i i think i my son was heckling the show as i was watching it he's seven yeah. and the joke that really didn't land for him was the lamaz joke oh god <laughs> the real pro yeah yeah lamaz lamans um yeah. he said oh is that supposed to be funny and i thought <laughs> wow okay Okay. <laughs> it's, it's probably the weakest joke in the show, but yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't imagine a seven-year-old not getting, not laughing uproariously at that one. So, um, a, a little-known fact: uh, this episode actually won an Emmy Award. Uh, this one won the Emmy Award for outstanding live and tape sound mixing and sound effects for a series. I uh, noticed the 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 phone. 
when Cliff was using the phone, I you could hear him using the phone. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. Well done. I, and I, I mean, I'm I'm thinking it might have also had something to do with the dream sequence, with like the the screams of the people falling down the elevator shaft. Oh right. Um. And yeah, that was one. You oh, know, for oh, yeah, TV we, class. Yeah. Oh, that's what I forgot to tell you. For TV class, they had to study the lighting pattern on the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. I guess it was pretty revolutionary in the in how they could make the set look like it was at night and yet still underground and lit from within. <laughs> anyway. Yeah the, na- the, yeah, the natural light doesn't make sense in this place, actually. Right, right, right. Right. So. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, for Norm's tab, uh, he actually he did a lot of work because he was seeing so many people. I gave him credit for right. seven beers this episode, uh, which brings him up to 270 for the series so far. Jesus. Uh, yeah. He should be dead by now, right? Uh, well, just just wait. Uh, uh, for the for the employee of the week, um, I thought this one was pretty obvious. It was a norm centric episode. I think I think George Wendt did a great job, to, like being the heavy for this one. So I, I thought it was pretty obviously that Norm was the employee of the week for this one. What did you think? Who was your MVP? Uh, actually, it was Sam for yeah. um, for one quick quip. When Diane is lecturing Norm about how he, he shouldn't do this, and the only reason he's doing this is because his bosses get him to make make him do menial tasks for them, and <laughs> Sam says, "Hey, there's some bar sweat over there," and Diane <laughs> immediately says, "Oh, I'll get that," and it dawns on her a split second later what just happened. <laughs> yeah, he gets her to do that. She, yeah, I love that. She just does it automatically and like stops herself. Yeah. Oh, I'll get that. Yeah, um, just for that moment alone, I, I, because I don't really I. Sam, I, Sam confuses me as to really smart dumb guy or dumb smart guy. You know what I mean? There's, a, there's I, sort I, of a subtle difference between the two. I think it depends on the episode. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. yeah. But I'll go the, with yours. Mm-hmm. I'll go with the with the norm for MVP. Yeah. Um, for the uh, for the highlights for the the best gag of the home run one. Um, you kind of alluded to it. I love it when Norm is hiding in the, the stall and Mr. Head comes in and like pushes through the doors and Norm is actually standing on top of the bowl, like hiding it so you don't see right. his feet underneath. And Mr. Hector is like, what are you doing in there? And he goes, sir, this is coming awfully close to being an invasion of privacy, darn it. I'm with you on that. And But again, the audacity of this man. <laughs> Imagine your boss, right? Just coming in. Kicking stall doors open until he gets to you. I mean, he's had to chase Norm down from their place of business to this bar. Like, he's been following him right. because Norm stuck out early. I mean, he was probably within rights to fire him. And that was probably, that. Sure. well, he that was his plan B if he didn't take the job. So, right. yeah, I'm sure he wanted to, to present himself as, the, as a, you know, potential threat if he had to. Um, I also I love the part when Norm is is sleeping when he's like basically passed out there while he's having the nightmare, and he starts kind of like moaning or something. They're like, "Oh, he must be dreaming," and you know, say, Sam says something. He's dreaming what every man dreams about, and Diane's like, "Well, you know, he's or he's dreaming about me or something." If if he's every man dreams of me, she she has some line about that that's full of herself. She says that if yeah. uh, Sam would be dreaming about her if it's Sam. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, yeah. "I hardly think Norm is dreaming of you," and then Norm wakes up from this nightmare screaming and Sam was like all right I stand corrected that's a great gag I love that one I know oh, I was I was a big fan of that one too yeah. 
All right. Well, David, thank you very much for being on this episode of Cheers Cast. Um, where can people find you, or what would you like to plug? You know, uh, the Emmy writing has been kind of dry just because of the <laughs> pandemic. Um, I think I – oh, I was just on Rob's um, uh, show about dead people, Fade Out. Superman movie. Uh, we were talk- <laughs> talking about Superman 4, yeah. uh, Minute 5. No, um, that was a Fade Out. We were talking about Orson Welles' last movie. Um, Max asked me to be on his show at some point, so hopefully in the near future. Nice. The Mirror Factory, not not Plastic Man. Yeah. Um, that's really it. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, D-M-G-U-T-I-E-R-R-E-Z at D-M Gutierrez. Um, and then I, I guess I can be found around here sometimes, right? Sometimes. I've been on JLI, um, your show. Actually, do you have an important announcement to make? Not about this one. Show too. Not about this one. Okay, you're gonna see it to the end. Are you gonna do Frasier? No, that's twenty years of this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that would be another eleven years on top of this one. And and I don't have the same. I enjoy the show, but I don't have the same passion for it. I've also heard from other people who would be interested in in doing a Frasier show. Maybe at somewhere down. So I'll I'll leave it to them. They're they're people who love that show and. It's it's their show to do. Yeah, I have no I have no intention of carrying this past past cheers. So, but yeah, that's that's really. It. Thank you for letting me be on. I I know this was kind of a. Oh, was on a wasn't I a star? How long ago was I on a Star Wars show with you? Was that was like a year ago then? Maybe. <sighs> Did it? Um, oh yeah. Well, gosh, that was the back in March. I was I was going to say I think you were on the Star Wars show with Rob. But yeah, we talked. Yeah, we talked about the Disney movies. That was the on the big wow. uh, the big one. That was a good one. That was a good that was one. A good one. I, I, I was a very. I'm very yeah. proud of that show. The way it, I ended up cutting everything together. Oh, you did great. That was an you endeavor. You did a fantastic job. You deserve a Webby. Is that, I think that's what they give out for web stuff, right? A Webby. Uh, sounds right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's really it. Um, so look for me uh, uh, here, as I always promise a show for this network, and then never deliver. So maybe <laughs> look, look for me on this network in the near future. There you go. You will be back. David Gutierrez will return in dot 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 Moonraker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all going on my tombstone, actually. Nice. All right, man. Take care. Thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, and Ashford Wright from the Right On Network, who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. Norma's sleeping like a baby. Yeah, a baby with a license to kill. Well, I guess this job is taking its toll. I wonder what he's dreaming about. Oh, he's probably dreaming about what every man dreams about. In your case, that would be me. I hardly think that Norm is dreaming about you. I stand corrected.